From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and I'm actually only a couple hundred feet above sea level somewhere in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, but joining me today is media consultant and former Fox Sports executive Patrick Crakes. Pat, welcome back to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV rating. Hey, Robert. It's great to be here. So the, uh, the Super Bowl is over. The ratings are in. It was the lowest viewership in over a decade. And uh, the questions from your perspective as a network executive. First, how much effort do you put in uh, to determining causes for changes, whether up or down? And uh, what type of things are you looking for in the ratings data when you do that? The answer to the first question is you put a lot. You try to understand what's going on. You have a lot of tools available to help you understand that. Eventually, you'll get minute-by-minute ratings. You know exactly where everything aired. You you know what the game pacing was. You, you've kept track of every moment of the game. So you try to go in and take a look at a narrative, right? Because um, a lot of people who watch this thing are not regular sports viewers. You got 50 million people watch the championship games, and it doubles to 100 million, right? right? And then for normal games, you're doing 15 to 25 million. So you've got a lot of folks in there that aren't they're only there for the game. So you want to try to figure out what impacted them because they're not as married to it. They're not as sticky as, you know, the 25 million to 50 million fans who showed up before. Right. So there's a lot of things you want to try to evaluate because some of the things are in the future within your control and some of them are not. And you put a lot of effort into it. Uh, and you have a lot of tools and you don't always tell the public what you've learned because some of it's really important. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. One of the key things to look at, I think, in any Super Bowl is what was tune-in versus the past five, even ten years, right? What's that first quarter hour that has a game rating in it? What did it do? What did the first half hour do? And then how did it build all the way through halftime? That gives you some read historically into what um, the attractiveness of the matchup was, how focused people were, how excited they were about everything that has to do with the game, from the commercials uh, to to the halftime act to the game itself, right? So you want to take a look at that. Then you also want to take a look at how um, halftime paced and then also the start of the second half. And then how you kind of go uh, through, the, through the game and taking a look at key moments, right? Like the second somebody really pulls away, you know what minute that happens. What happened to the rating, right? Did folks stick around? Right. Uh, did they not stick around? Did they go away? You know, what's that compare? What's that slope look like compared to past years? And then, of course, when the game's over, what's, how, how long are people sticking around? Uh, how, st- you know, how, are, how are they consuming the post game? Uh, those are all things that help you explain away things you could control and things you can't control. I haven't seen a lot of narrative from CBS on this. That's not a criticism. I just don't, if I were at a network, those would be things that I'd be looking at immediately as soon as the ratings came in. And then uh, here, when you get the minute by minute ratings next week, I'd want to take a look at that as well. So, those are just a few things. Figure out what you can control, what you can't control, and then try to quantify it for future. Because, you know, gameplay you can't control. Right. And that's probably 3 to 5% up or down. You know, it's a tailwind or it's a headwind. I think in this case we had a headwind. Is it 3% or 5%? I don't know for sure, but it explains, I think, more than 50% of the decline we saw. Right. Yeah, so just from your point of view, I mean, I know, like, even even with the minute – uh, you know, minute by minute data, like it's it's really hard to get to a point where you say, you know what, this isn't just correlation; it is very, very definitively uh, causation. Uh, how how 
how frustrating is that uh, from, uh, you know, just, just from the way that the data works and, you know, the data that's available? Uh, or or is, is it such that, that that doesn't really, you know, frustrate uh, the, the folks like you? Well, I, I think for things not like the Super Bowl, there's three buckets. Things you can directly attribute to a, a delta in ratings, things that you can't, and then things that you can't figure out which bucket they go into right? Majority of things go into the middle bucket, right? In the case of the Super Bowl, because we have definitive moments, typically you can say, well, that drop, that spike had something to do with what was going on here gotcha. in the game. In the case of this game, um, it's probably frustrating because it's pace of play, which is the right, right word. It's not competitiveness. It was a very competitive game from a scoring perspective, from a score perspective. Right. The pace of play seemed to... Um, it just seemed to not be in context with what we've seen the rest of the season. I think that probably impacted the casuals. One of the interesting theories to look at, right, is what the low-frequency viewers uh, were doing once it became kind of non-exciting like it had been for the rest of the season. Right. You know, it, it's not that everybody, when they, when they leave the Super Bowl, goes right to uh, Netflix or some other cable channel. Most typical destination when you when the Super Bowl is done or when you've decided to stop watching the Super Bowl is set off. Matter of fact, that's the number one thing for people to go to when they're done watching TV is set off. Set off is almost always the place you go. And with the Super Bowl, it makes sense, especially if you're in Eastern and Central time zones. That's why the you know you still do a big number for the post show, but you're not going to do a hundred some odd million. People go to bed. They don't go say, hey, let's go spend another three hours watching movies. Right. Some people do. I'm not saying everyone does that. I'm saying enough do it that it changes the average minute rating, which is still the best quantifiable metric in all of audiovisual engaging programming. Uh, it's much better than reach figures because it gives you a read of what the intensity was across the entire program. Um, so, you know, people are going to set off and, and things like that within the game and uh, for different reasons. And you want to see what the casuals are doing because one thing is true. Set off's the number one destination but I think the patience among casuals because of the number of options is lower than it used to be. Gotcha. So it's easy for them to get distracted into something else, easier, right? Yep. It's still very sticky, but it's not as sticky as it used to be because if you don't like the game at the start of the second half, it's still early enough to go do something else. And I think that could have an impact in some of it. What's interesting is that the rating was okay, right? And what people need to understand for rating calculation, it's only, you only got to watch like a minute of the program when it, you, you get in there somehow, right, with the calculation. But it's, it's, the, it's the average viewing and the, and, the, um, and the reach figures. I think the reach was fine. I think you just lost people through, through the course of the game through pace of play, right. probably in the second half, somewhere around the third quarter. And those folks, uh, you know, went to do something else or went to bed. Right. So uh, you had mentioned that even on the East Coast and Central Time, there's still a lot of people uh, watching the postgame show. But uh, I, I was talking to Jim Miller, and uh, he has a producer sensibility and background, which I don't. And he had commented on uh, the way CBS had sequenced the postgame. And he wondered uh, if there might have been some impact by going to Brady so quickly in the postgame. And then, like, pretty rapidly after talking to Brady, going immediately to a commercial break afterward. And you know, I hadn't really thought about, okay, you got the funnel of 98 million, you know, uh, you know, 50 million probably go to set off immediately when the game is over, how to maximize, you know, the, 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 the hangers on. Uh, I never really thought about that kind of sequencing. How much, how much do you think about stuff like that? And, 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 and is it a big deal? 
Well, I think the producers and the programmers in the research department spend a lot of time thinking about this. The whole group, the marketing department. So you've got this big audience. How do you tell a narrative that's engaging enough to keep them going? Understanding who you've got with you. It, it's a different kind of post game for a regular season baseball right, uh, right, sure. game uh, than it is for the Super Bowl. So a lot of work went into it on CBS, and I, I get the, you know, I, I get people like don't like certain things they did, but they they did what they thought was right. Um, it, it's it's not an exact science. Everybody wants to make this a you know they toss around machine learning AI. It's not an exact science. It's human. How you tell the narrative is really really important, and people really care about that. Uh, but you don't always get it right. Um, you do something wrong, or the audience reacts in a way you weren't expecting. You also have to balance the need to tell a story, and this is a real challenge with the economics that are going on. You have to find a way to lace commercial breaks in, in a way that 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 doesn't disrupt the narrative and sometimes it's nearly impossible especially with a with something that's as economically important as the super bowl to to cbs it, it will change their you know their revenue picture for this year so that's what the super bowl does to every super, uh, nfl partner that's super bowl so they've got breaks they've got to air um there's also a negotiation going on and and uh you know uh, preston beckman uh my friend preston beckman who is the mass scheduler on on twitter he talked a lot about, you know, when he was in charge of scheduling and, and a big strategic consultant at Fox and the entertainment group, he would always have a conversation with us about how we're going to manage this, right? So there's a lot of things going on because the entertainment group's involved too. Yeah, they the want they want cares a lot about this. Yeah, they they want to get on. They want the uh, the after show to get on as quickly as possible, and for the post game show to be done as quickly. Yeah, and how you balance that? What's that conversation? Is always an interesting thing. So they had they had you know they have three priorities. Tell the story properly for the audience there, right? Number two, manage the economics correctly. Number three, deliver a strategic audience to this unique opportunity so the entertainment group can run with the ball. Those are three very, very hard things to balance. And I wouldn't assume that anybody just made a mistake, right? right? I would assume that some priority somewhere took over because that's not, I don't, nobody made a mistake, Right. Um, it was, it was literally the same problem everybody has. And I think if you look critically at one of those three, those three points to any Super Bowl postgame show, you'll find something to criticize. Right. So uh, I know we're on the same page about it being frustrating that uh, Nielsen doesn't have a, a single currency, even for Nielsen. Uh, and, and I know ratings are best <laughs> for the pendants who are uh, willing to be very careful with them. Uh, but Nielsen has made it pretty hard. Even, even for the people who want to be careful, uh, by counting different ways, even within its own TV ratings. Uh, for, for example, uh, if you subscribe to Nielsen's total audience measurement, uh, like some companies do, I know ESPN does, uh, any, any streaming via connected devices like Roku and Apple TV that you know, hook up to your TV, those actually show up in the next day numbers. And if you don't subscribe to Nielsen's total audience measurement, those numbers do not show up in the next day numbers. And so even with right. the lie plus same day numbers, they don't mean the same thing. And so the, you know, like the way the Super Bowl got counted for CBS does, and the number that came out the next day doesn't get counted the same way as say the college football championship on ESPN gets counted. And uh, I find that just like, just as kind of at this point, a casual, even as a casual analyst, I find it extremely frustrating uh, to, to deal with, to explain. I'm not always sure I understand it myself. Uh, and it just seems like it's yeah. overly complicated at this point. Uh, and so 
Uh, you know, one question, like, uh, you know, Neil, Neil, I'm not Nielsen's customer, right? So if I'm the only only one frustrated, mm -hmm. who cares? Um, but but is anyone happy with the current setup besides Nielsen? Or and, and maybe they're not even happy with it. You mean like overall, holistically? Yeah. Uh, look, there's always, look, when I came into the business in, in 1992 or three, it, uh, nobody was happy. Nobody's happy today, right? <laughs> but the problem is, is that Nielsen is a, a market-wide natural monopoly. Uh, you can't take the Nielsen system down and transact in media. Everything in media is, is, is impacted by the Nielsen ratings. The biggest, one of the biggest revenue streams for movies is selling it in the aftermarket through syndication or other places, right? As those revenue streams get monetized 20, 30 years down the line. Ratings are important and they go into the calculation of thinking about whether you're going to create a movie or not. Uh, they're key to SVOD services. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of reasons why that stuff is strategic to the entire media business. In some ways, I say it's, the, it's, it's basically the center of the wheel, um, and it's a natural monopoly. It doesn't have incentive to move very fast. And as somebody who sat on the board of directors of the Media Ratings Council for multiple years, I've been through multiple Nielsen audits, and I can tell you there's nobody incompetent there. They just don't have the same incentives because, number one, they are the marketplace currency, and they're always rushing to defend that position. So if you add too much too fast and make a mistake, you attrit that moat, and that's a real problem for them. They have a disincentive to move fast. Right. At the same time, the marketplace has changed enormously, and those two things are running up against each other. So nobody is happy on the buy or the sell side of this. At the same time, they move enough, they acquire enough competitors that they're good enough to make the entire business run. I often make the analogy to, and some people won't get this, to Frank Herbert's Dune sci-fi classics where everybody talks about the spice must flow. Right. That's the Nielsen ratings. And I've, I've heard for years about competitors and, oh, they're coming down. And, oh, Facebook's got the best data. And yet, yeah, no, no, they don't. Eventually, Facebook's going to become a Nielsen customer because it's the only way to transact. They're a natural monopoly. They have an incentive to go slow to protect the integrity of the currency, even if the currency is not all inclusive. And they're going to, you know, and they will eventually figure this out. Um, I think Anthony Krupe done the best job of really taking everybody through this by the hand. And he's, um, he's at, and he's at they will, a, Pat, so just to, just to chime in. So Krupe, Krupe's at AdAge. You could just, uh, just Google Krupe and AdAge and you can see his, uh, his articles and he's uh, Krupe, C-R-U-P-I, Krupe, Krupe. One more time, creepy, 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 uh, on Twitter. <laughs> okay, sorry for the interview. Yeah. Oh no, that's okay. So he does a great job of explaining this better than I can, even though I understand it. So it, they will get a a, a all inclusive currency that allows us to break out the different components that can be delivered in an overnight basis. Right now we don't have it, so it creates confusion in the general marketplace. PR is a mess, yeah. but there are places because of it you can hide. Some people like that. Uh, I think on a on a tactical basis, on a strategic basis, nobody's happy with it on the buy or sell side, uh, but um, it's good enough. And uh, it is confusing on the publicity front. It is complete, it's too esoteric to the general public. And people are, we've talked about this before, so interested in this stuff now. They get confused. They, oh, streaming, streaming's killing it. Well, you know, streaming on platforms that are not inside digital bundles and things like that was, you know, two point something million, I forget what it is, 2.5 million, something grew a little bit. It's one and a half, two percent of the total audience. Streaming is really important, but it's, it's part of the Nielsen ecosystem now through the ways that most people consume that, that stuff on stations, uh, programming on stations, 
or inside channels. Um, so that streaming is not really a streaming number because the streaming number, streaming and linear, don't mean the same thing they used to. And now I've probably lost everybody. And <laughs> I don't blame them. I'm a yeah. little lost myself. Yeah. So yeah. can somebody yeah. find me a forest ranger and get me out of these woods? Yeah, this is it's the, that confusing. It's this, that confusing. Yep, it, it, it is that confusing. And, and, uh, and uh, I feel like I understand it pretty well. I'm, I'm very frustrated by the... By the, by the state of the ratings and, and even even how to how to talk about them, particularly with something like the Super Bowl. Uh, so, Pat, I know that uh, you're really big on uh, OOH or out of home viewership. Uh, you know, people watching at bars, other people's houses, hotels, the mall, airports, wherever. Um, and, uh, you know, Nielsen has, uh, at least on a custom basis, been measuring that for a few people. I uh, haven't seen anything for the Super Bowl this year yet. Uh, but uh, I expect that those numbers will be out sometime in the in the in the the next week or so, hopefully. Uh, w- what's your take on on uh, Super Bowl OH viewing? What people should think about them? How much difference it makes, et cetera? Well, I, I think that you know you you know one of the points is is that you know uh, that there's not a historical narrative to to compare this to. I I think if you take whatever you're doing today over the past couple of years and you've seen these numbers for big events. Take that percentage of the total viewing and just assume that relationship has been within some small delta consistent over time. It's important to understand that advertisers and, and, and distributors of channels have always given, you know, advertisers always given the networks credit for out of home through pricing, right? They, right? Yeah, we know a lot of people are watching. Nielsen bought Arbitron years ago, and to the theme we were talking about just a few minutes ago, like 11 years later, they actually rolled out out of home meaning, uh, out of home ratings using the portable people meter technology that they got from Arbitron in the early 2000s. I actually sat on a committee to try to, in the early 2000s, get that into the currency. And sure enough, you know, 11 years later, Nielsen got, got it done. It's not in the currency yet, completely, but you know, it's there for you to have if you want to pay for it. And um, I think the importance is, is that, circling back to that Nielsen idea, right, those numbers were always there. The marketplace knew it, but we couldn't quantify it. Right. right? I think it's important because it shows that sports are even sports and live events are even more important than we thought. Right. In particular, in the context of one of the great trends of the past five to ten years, and probably be the great trend for the next twenty years, the emergence of the experiential economy. The attempt, you know, people want to go out and do things, right? And there has to be a good reason to get them out, though, because the technology inside the home is so fascinating. So you got to really offer something, and the Super Bowl offers something. And Nielsen's ability to capture that in bars and restaurants, they technically could always. Uh, you know, technically always capture when you went to visit a friend's house, they had a Nielsen meter, you got to log on, that's esoteric, but theoretically, this is a better system right. to capture that. It's there, so it's, it, it points to how Nielsen works, but it also points to a reality that we all knew, now we quantified it, a 12 million, 12 million people watching the Super Bowl, which I think it'll be consistent, I don't think it's going to jump, may jump a little bit, you know, 12, 12 million, million people watching the Super Bowl, a big number. Hey Pat, just to clarify, yeah. 12 million was, was the number uh, for, the out-of-home viewing number for last year's Super Bowl? Yeah, yes, okay. yes, approximately 12 point something, but you know, the point of the matter is, for biggest events, that matters in media. I, I'm not so sure it matters so much for regular season, fill in the blank, or what's something like that, but the point of the matter is, for the biggest events, that's a tailwind to a reason for advertisers and distributors to be attracted to this. And the whole business, you know, the advertisers and distributors want to put things on that matter so they can sell that to their customers. And the channels and the content owners want to have something that's valuable. And this, this provides value. So it's important for that, for those con- for that context. It shows what Nielsen does, how they work. It, it shows a, a great trend 
um, that, that's continuing to emerging with experiential. And it also shows the value of these sports and news and other live events, which are becoming core to the entire media business uh, as kind of the tip of the spear that kind of keeps everything together. Okay, so before uh, that that uh, that makes a ton of sense. So b- before we move off uh, the the NFL, so we're we're I don't know four or five days out from the Super Bowl now, and uh, you know we've had some time to di- to digest the numbers. Uh, what are the big takeaways for how people should look at uh, this year's Super Bowl TV ratings? Well, without the availability to do a lot of the micro analysis that I would have done when 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 I was you know had a was had a large staff to and, get and the data kind of things done in conjunction with other people and the data. I would say that most importantly, the Super Bowl remains within some kind of delta, the most important program on television. But it's important that it's only in context to the regular season and the playoffs. It's easy to focus on the Super Bowl, but because it's one game, pace of play, quality of play, matchups matter, right? So there's some delta there you're always going to drop. We were going to go below 100 million at some point. Uh, if, if I'm next year's Super Bowl network, I'm kind of excited about this because now I get to, you know, if it stays there, well, okay, somebody's already taken the big bullet for that one. Not my fault. Um, but if it goes up, yeah, if, if, if it goes up, it's like, hey, you know, look, it was us <laughs> or something, right? You can just say, but you know, the, the point, truth of the matter is, is that I think probably pace of plays were three to five million viewers, right, up or down. And under the right set of circumstances, the Super Bowl could soar uh, back to 110 million. Under the right set of circumstances, it goes below 100 million. I don't see any secular trend here on this. I think we're in some kind of range, plus or minus 5 million, based upon quality of play, place of play, pace of play, and matchup. That's the big. That's the big takeaway. And then in the context of the regular season and playoffs where most of the economic value gets generated, both on the distribution side and the advertising side, that had a fabulous year. And, and if that trend just stays flat for a couple years, uh, the, the league is going to be able to point to what it's always been able to point to in your and I's you know, media careers is that it's the most important media property in all of audiovisual content. I lied when I said we're going to move off NFL ratings. One last question. So I, I saw 50,000 times this week people saying definitively with authority that the reason that these numbers are lower is because of, of uh, that it's Patriots fatigue. Forgetting about whether that, that's something you agree with or not, is that something you could ever actually tell from the data? Well, you could, you, it's going to be hard because the Rams swung into the picture and they brought Los Angeles with them. And Los Angeles, uh, I think I talked to Joe Flynn about this last week in the Wall Street Journal. It, Los Angeles is its own thing and it, it does its own thing. And, um, you know, what, it, what I'm interested in the out of home number is because I wonder if LA didn't make that pop some. Um, because of the weather and the time of day. And so you're just not seeing them there. But they, they change it because no market in the United States is really behaves like L.A. It's got this transient population. It's enormous. Nothing culturally unifies it. It's, it's weird, right? So last year, the Patriots and the Eagles did just fine. They did just fine. So, you know, there wasn't any last year, and the Patriots played in some of the highest-rated games all year long. So it's really hard for me to say that Patriots fatigue is what caused this. Uh, it would be easier if I had a market that I knew was going to show up and stand tall and proud and, and, and be there at the beginning and stay through the end, because then I could take a look at what, what happened there. It's mucked up by LA. 
I would look at TuneIn, right? I think TuneIn was down a little bit. Um, I forget exactly. I think what I saw in the first half hour was, I think Krupi actually answered that question for me, was down some. But I don't, I don't know what that means because LA's mucked it up. Maybe there's a little. I mean, I, I buy some of that. I don't buy, you know, 5 million viewers tuned out because of that. And certainly New Orleans, while that was dramatic, I mean, that was pretty dramatic on a ratings basis. Yep. It was about a tenth of a rate, tenth and a half of a rating point yeah, to the national household rating, 170,000 homes or something. It, it, it certainly, you know, it's a small, small piece. So I, maybe there's a little, right? Maybe a little, but it's, it's mucked up. And I don't think it's as much as people, you know, people want to say that the general public wants to say that I get it. Totally get it. I just don't think it's borne out in any conclusive way by any kind of analysis. Okay, so uh, thanks for that. So I, I've gone on too long about the NFL. I had a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about, so we're going to go like lightning round for about 10 minutes. So uh, okay. ESPN Plus, it hit 2 million plus subscribers. And I'll just add my, my two cents on this. is When, was, when they reported their, their million subscriber number, uh, I, I really I wasn't all that impressed because I figured they were counting, I don't know, 400 or 500,000 you know, ESPN Insider subscribers. Uh, but but now it's bumped up from uh, from a million to two million pretty swiftly. I think it was five months. And I know like a five hundred sixty eight thousand or some number uh, close to six hundred thousand uh, that ESPN is reporting, you know, came of that million came over a two day period when uh, when uh, ESPN first, first launched UFC. Uh, but uh, what are your quick thoughts on that number? Well, my first thought is that Undisputed and this podcast need to scooch over because there's another world's fastest growing thing, <laughs> and that's ESPN+. Plus. Uh, that's a hell of a number to drop down, and they've made content investments, and I think you see the results to that. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting, right? Streaming video on demand perception in the general public, and I think the general marketplace's mind, if you watch the financial news networks, certainly Wall Street's, right. is that um, everybody's streaming all the time all their content. It's largely based upon a subscription number for Netflix, right. which is very, very big. Yeah. But Netflix, much like Los Angeles, is its own thing, right? Everything else, right, when it comes to paying subs, doesn't have those kind of numbers. Uh, you know, Hulu's got 20-some-odd million, I think. Uh, you know, you start going down the scale there, uh, you know, the HBO, CBS, they all have lower numbers. And then, and then you come down to segmented, right? So those are kind of general, right? They're kind of broad, right? right? Hulu's broad, Netflix is broad, uh, HBO and CBS are broader, broadish. You get down to like the WWE, that's a segmented group of people that want to really pay for that. Um, so ESPN plus is closer to the WWE than it is to CBS all access or something like that. Right. And the fact that a segment, so when it comes to segmented SVOD, I think a WWE is a gold standard. That's like two point something million paying subs. And it has been for a long time for them to get to 2 million says something when you look at the competitive set. And, and I'm pretty impressed by that. The question is, you know, how big can they get with a segmented, Offering, I think there are some segments that have real potential for several million paying subs. Another one would be uh, there's a service that Discovery owns called Motor Trend, right? That's a big enough segment with enough people who are interested to pay for that. Uh, most streaming video on demand services, though, 
are not going to make that cut, I don't think, especially in the segmented space because your audience gets so small. ESPN Plus, if these numbers bear out, right? So I still have a couple questions about how they counted this, right? There's, there's always some devil in the details. They, they put this out, so I assume it's solid. Uh, but if it just stays here, that's impressive, right? If they get another million or two million. By the way, this is, none of this is going to be good enough for Rich Greenfield. If they have 100 million paying stubs on ESPN Plus, they'll find a way to calculate that, that they're not paying for everything somehow. I, I got to love him. He dies on every hill. But the point of the matter, and he's very, very smart, and, and I read everything he writes, but he dies on every hill. And um, uh, you make a yeah, you make a poor infantry officer. Um, but the but the point of the matter is, he's a great analyst, poor media, uh, poor infantry officer. Um, but the point of the matter is, is that um, you know this is very impressive. And in a competitive set, I'm I can't think of anybody that got that fast. Maybe WWE did, but you know I'm not taking a shot at anything. But there's other services that like Fight Pass that haven't done that. And Fight Pass is now embedded inside of that ecosystem. So my guess is they've picked up something there too, which is great for the UFC and their partners. And it also validates adding ESPN Plus to their acquisition strategy, which changes the table for them a little bit because now they can offer uh, content partners uh, multiple ways to monetize and distribute. Um, The volume of the content can go on Plus. They can be directly subsidized by subscription fees. The biggest and best content can go over on the traditional distribution platforms with ESPN brands, uh, where ESPN can turn around and say, look, the distributor only cares about the 13 pay-per-view prelims with the UFC anyway. They're not going to pay us for the tier two fights, the tier three fights. So we'll monetize cleanly, distribute all of those, distribute some other stuff in tier two and tier three, but try to directly monetize over on digital. Uh, That's a powerful, powerful model for a lot of tier one partners. The tier two and tier three sport partners, right, like the smaller college conferences, they get total distribution on ESPN Plus, and their best marquee events or a couple events end up over on the traditional full reach or nearly fully uh, distributed uh, uh, traditional brands on ESPN. Right. And, and otherwise, they wouldn't have anywhere to go because the economics of putting them on a network that's scheduled on a linear basis wouldn't make any sense. They'd have to be bumped for something else. So this is a powerful model. And... Um, I think, I think it's working. You see a couple other people doing it too. All traditional media companies, by the way, Turner and everyone else, those guys are starting to figure this out fast and they're adding digital, which is one of the reasons why I think some content partners are beginning to say, you know, maybe I'll just bet with the people I have. They seem to be figuring this out. The death of established media was greatly exaggerated. They get a vote, yeah. right? And now they're voting and they're executing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh Give me uh, uh, um, one minute or less on MBA ratings. Well, I, I'll just, it, this is generically, right? On a year-to-year basis, any time in season, you're going to be up or you're going to be down. The question is, what's the secular trend over longer than two years? And also, you know, how does your business plan over the course of the entire contract net out? You have certain, don't forget, ratings are largely on a day-to-day basis about advertising revenue. Advertising revenue to the NBA, to an ESPN or a Turner is not the majority of the revenue. Most of that revenue is monetized with distribution partners across linear and digital platforms on a three to five year basis. So that economics have been done and they are coming in. The ad sales is a tailwind or a headwind and managing that year to year is something you can control. But it's 25% of the cost accounting revenue that's coming into the MBA profit center, right? So you can get Ratings declines are a problem uh, we, we care about. Uh, we want to manage our way out of them. Uh, 
but you also understand that some things go up and some things go down. Matchups don't pan out the correct way. Key players get injured. Uh, key players switch time zones and change the entire viewing pattern established with people. Uh, it takes a little bit of time to sort all of that out. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's it's, lots it's, of reasons. Like, by, why the, by the way, so it's, it's, you know, I, I get that negative is, is, is the thing that, that people are prone to do these days. Um, but really, I think it is an amazing story about the impact of LeBron, right? That he has so much influence that, you know, that by playing more games at uh, 1030 Eastern instead of, you know, around 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock Eastern, it actually has made a difference. And uh, that, I mean, you know, f f forgetting about the, the, the ratings angle, that's a kind of a cool story, and I'm surprised that there aren't more people talking about it just from, uh, you know, uh, how big of a deal one dude is. Yeah, and, and I hear you, but uh, remember when Michael Jordan retired, the entire valuation of the NBA struggled for a little bit. Um, remember the mid-2000s to the, to the beginning of the 2010s, a lot of people were like, what's going on with the NBA? I oh. mean, the, you know, where's that going, right? So these narratives change, uh, and yep. stars are your flags. And LeBron moving time zones changes everything. Even if it's the Lakers, it changes everything. Yep. And um, I think the important thing to keep in mind is that when it comes to the regular season, lots of things matter, right? In the NFL, the regular season, because it's only 17 weeks, the matchups matter a lot. Stars matter too, but matchups matter a lot because there's only 16 times you're going to see these teams play. With the other sports, there's so many regular season matchups. I think things that you can market on, like the history of a rivalry or a star, matter so much more in the regular season. And I think you're seeing that pan out in this generation's biggest basketball star moving time zones and people kind of getting their shorts on straight with that because <laughs> that didn't happen with the Warriors. They balanced, he balanced out the Warriors on both coasts. Now yep. we're heavy to that side of the country. Uh, the Alliance of American football kicks off this weekend. And uh, I, I'm, you know, forgetting about the, 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 the cable and the streaming portion. Uh, do you have any thoughts on like, what is a reasonable expectation to see from the numbers on that are for the games that air on CBS on CBS? Yeah. Well, I think that they want to do, you know, three to 5 million viewers probably. Got I mean, it. I think so. So, but like, that. it's, this is not going to be considered like if, 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 uh, you know, if they get, uh, you know, I don't know, 3.8 million, that's not like, Oh, this sucks. Yeah. Nobody's watching this. That, that would be considered good. Uh, I compared to the competitive set, uh, for year one, for something that, you know, this, this hasn't been tried a couple, you know, only been tried a couple of times. Yeah. I think it'd be pretty good. I mean, but they, they've uh, got yeah, a, Pat, they've got Pat, a good Pat, wide array distribution deal. Go ahead. So I was just going to say, so, so you think that'd be good even out of the gate or good if that's like where they're still at in, you know, three or four weeks. Um, I think that's good. I mean, there's only a couple games on CBS network. I mean, the, 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 most of the distribution is either on NFL network, Turner or across Bleacher Report, I believe. Yeah, yeah I mean, but, I, you know, so, yeah, I think Bleacher that, Report Live, it, I, you know, I don't know what to expect from that. Yeah. Well, I will tell you what they did secure, though, was we were talking about that model, right, with ESPN+. Plus. So Bleacher Report Live gives them legitimate big media company partnership Absolutely. distribution on the digital space. But they've got some games on Turner. They've got games. I think they got a couple games a week on NFL Network. They've got uh, uh, games on CBS. Um, that's a nice package together when you think about this. Uh, so I would say pay attention to the competitive set, right? The competitive set is tier two. Um, if they're within some kind of multiple of that, then out of the box at the end of this, I, I, I think you got to say, well, that, that was a pretty good launch.
Um, they certainly have the right, they, the, the distribution model that we're seeing from them is, I think, the future, right, for tier two and tier three. It's digital for volume, select content on, on a near fully distributed pay TV, and then elite events or a couple events sitting over on the broad, full reach uh, broadcast television. That's a model that I think can sustain itself and work. Um, it doesn't need to have the ratings of the NBA on ABC uh, it, to be successful at all. So, and that's the same with the XFL and, and other startup leagues that, that are coming around. Um, that, I think, is the future. And that's the interesting thing, right? Traditional media companies have figured out, started to figure out digital distribution. And now you have a new property that I think three or four years ago would have said, well, the place we want to be is completely digital. That's the future. And the answer is the future is additive and more complicated than we think it is and looks more like the current system than we want to give it credit for because we all want to be changed and futurists and things like that. The truth of the matter is that's an additive solution. It's one the UFC came up with as well with ESPN. And I think that it's, uh, I think it's probably the future. Um, which is additive and evolved as opposed to zero sum and live die. More football, always good. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Pat, always a pleasure to speak with you. Absolutely, Robert. Take care.